2: Welcome to this week's episode of Burn It All Down. It's the feminist sports podcast you need. On this week's panel, we have Amira Rose Davis, Assistant Professor of History and Women's Gender and Sexuality Studies at Penn State University. Brenda Elsie, Associate Professor of History at Hofstra University, who is currently in Argentina. And me, I'm Shireen Ahmed, freelance sports writer in Toronto, Canada. Before we begin, I would like to take this time to thank our patrons for their generous support and encouragement, and to remind our new flamethrowers about our Patreon campaign. You can pledge a certain amount monthly as low as two dollars and as high as you want to become an official patron of the podcast in exchange for your monthly contribution. You get access to special rewards with a price of just a latte a month. You can get access to extra segments of the podcast, a monthly newsletter. An opportunity to record on the burn pile, and those are only available to those in the Patreon community. So far, we've been able to solidify funding for proper editing, transcripts, but are hoping to reach our dream of hiring a full-time producer to help us with the show. Burn It All Down is a labor of love, and we really all believe in this podcast, but having a producer to help us grow would be amazing, as would be the opportunity for all of us to meet and go live on the road for Burn It All Down. In this week's episode, we'll be talking playoffs, NHL and NBA. Lindsay has an interview with Lindsay Lemke, and we will discuss the oh-so-controversial topic of girls playing with boys in sports. But before we begin... Let's talk CAP because we're always ready to talk CAP. <laughs> for those, those of you that don't know, he was awarded the prestigious Amnesty International Ambassador of Conscience Award. And to present this award was Eric Reid. Now, I'm all here for all of that. And I just wanted to know, Amira and Brenda, your thoughts.
3: Well, it was really nice to see And a great reminder that the NFL is not on the right side of of this issue. And I think in 10, 20 years, I'll look back and and recognize that. I think that it's a nice reminder that people really around the world, this is an international award, can see what Kaepernick is doing and understand it correctly to be um, about justice and about fighting oppression. And not about, you know, the military or the flag or all the ways that people have kind of used the shield to detract from or change the conversation. So it was just something to applaud.
4: I always think it's so interesting that people around the world seem to recognize, especially people involved in civil rights and anti-racism in the U.S. It seems like international organizations are much more willing to recognize it. Maybe it's easier for them. Maybe it causes less you know conflict, but it's like, what is wrong with with these organizations in the U.S. that don't see this as an important struggle as a global struggle? So I also agree. It's really nice. It's also though I don't know maybe sad or poignant or it pokes at me a little bit about like why Amnesty can do it and there's there's more sorts of I don't know uh, local organizations that I feel like could be stepping up to give him the support that he deserves. Yeah,
2: yeah. this also ties back into Adidas making an announcement, which I thought was really interesting, that like to just jump off of what Brenda said about organizations still being hesitant and tentative when they shouldn't be. And just sort of Adidas saying that they would absolutely give him a contract if he got signed. Like, what does that even mean? Is Stella McCartney signed? Like, no. So, you don't actually have to be signed with a team to get contract with adidas like it it doesn't work like that and and sort of this is just reflective to me him getting this award from amnesty highlights those that don't support him is what i'm trying to say and it it it, like it's it's really really frustrating and and as Amir already mentioned nhl has proven time and again that they're really really off the mark here like i have a friend and she and i were chatting about it and she works within the nhl sorry the nfl and I just have the upcoming conversation on my mind with Amira. And she says that it really – they really, really, really fucked up. Like they really, really lost the chance, especially an organization that is so bad on DV. It's so bad on so so many things. This award celebrates individuals and groups who speak up for justice, quote unquote. That's what it is. Like Nelson Mandela won this Malala Yousafzai. I really don't understand the U2 winning it, but whatever. Sunday, bloody Sunday. It's all good. So – like, Cap is in there with these these incredible people, and the NFL is like, nah, fam? Like, I don't understand. Amira? Yeah,
3: I wish I could help you understand, but they're using a logic of not justice. They're using a logic of, dare I say, white supremacy and keeping their owners happy. So, you know, I can't help you there, <laughs> except to say that amnesty gets it. <laughs> and I think that that's, you know, a really remarkable feat.
4: It's amazing how white supremacy can even trump global capitalism.
3: Oh, yeah, totally. Well, that's the thing about it. That's funny. You know, even in all of these things where owners will be like, oh, our fans are down or they're not going to come. And, you know, they don't even there's not even a rationale about what fans would come to the game to see Kaepernick or the fact that after he started his protest, his Jersey sales were the you know leading Jersey sale exactly. um, from the NFL shop. So exactly. you're exactly right. Like global capital. It's funny because there's certain moments where you can see, you know, global capitalism, you know, actually doesn't really hold a candle to white supremacy.
4: <laughs> it's, it's amazing. It's like, I'm going to go to those games and buy that Jersey. And that's amazing. And all my friends are too, but it doesn't. Right. It doesn't even matter to them because being racist is more important.
3: I mean, Sharina has a Kaepernick jersey and she barely cares about the NFL. I don't.
2: I don't care about the NFL at all, except to burn them in the burn pile. But I, <laughs> I have two. I actually have two cap jerseys: a black one and a red see, one. See, so exactly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. But speaking of global capitalism, I love Adidas. I just had to throw that in there. I got you. You know me. It's my problematic fave. (laughs) Shereen, stop looking for sponsors. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Adidas sponsor. Burn it all down, please. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So moving on. Amira, why don't you get us started? Okay, y'all. It's that time of year. You know, I know
3: there's exciting moments in sports. March Madness, although exploitative system, it's super fun to get into. When baseball is winding down, you have Red October. It, it's it's wonderful. The Olympics are great, but to me, bar none, the most exciting postseason of any sport is the NHL playoffs. <laughs> At me, I don't really care because, like, fight me on that. It's literally the most exciting thing. The intensity goes up. The I just I can't even explain it. Other than say, I saw Soupy once down a player on a penalty play, block a shot with his kneecap, which then shattered his leg, and still get up with no stick and make a penalty kill. That is playoff hockey. So, my friends, it is time for playoff hockey. I'm a very happy person right now but this is a weird Stanley Cup playoffs I must admit there's a weird kind of you know how in uh, the NBA for the past few years it's like okay like we can just this is fluff let's just get to the time where the Warriors play the Cavs (laughs) in many (laughs) ways I feel like this postseason is kind of similar we're not seeing we have some good series but we're not seeing this kind of wide open parody where we're sitting back like everybody everybody has a shot like I feel like there is my Bruins are looking really good although they lost to the Leafs last night. <laughs> uh, I know was, I was mm. uh, texting Shireen. Quite uh, mm. <laughs> send more wine. I'm waiting uh, for this conversation. Yeah, I have a lot
4: to say about this, <laughs> I, just, I love. Go ahead. Seconds. Sorry.
3: And although you know, I'm always happy to see a um, a Pens flyers opening round because I, it's a bloodbath and you know wonderful. But generally, I mean, the Lightning look good. The Predators look good, but. The, I feel like this year there's, you know, maybe we have to get into the next rounds to start seeing really, really kind of close games. We've had some sweeps. We've, you know, we're just, it's, it feels kind of like the NBA. I don't know, Shereen, what, what are your thoughts?
2: Well, my thoughts are that I'm not hugely invested <laughs> only because the Habs didn't even make it. And like, I just... I like, and then my default are the predators. Right. Because, because obviously Subin and um, PK Subin. And, but I'm really enjoying watching. The Bruins lose because almost, like, almost at a level of love for the Habs, I have a disdain for the Bruins, which is why I love Amira so much. Like, she's genuinely the only Bruins fan I've ever loved. And, <laughs> but I'm not, I'm not a Leafs fan either. Like, I'm a displaced Montreal Canadiens fan because I live in Toronto and right. everyone here is so excited and rubbing it constantly in my face all the time. So, don't you that just put I, a for the Bruins for this series? No, it really doesn't work like that. It's so interesting. It Absolutely not. It. And, and, for, and for all of our listeners out there, this is actually something that happened. Amira and I were texting about something super like personal last night, and she just happened to mention, and the Bruins lost. And I was like, I love you, and I'm giving you support, but you get no love. And that was in caps for me. That's how horrible <laughs> I am. In caps, I'm like, you get no Bruin sympathy from me. I love you.
4: I'm here for you, but nah. Listen. So. And Amira gets this about the Patriots, too. Listen, <laughs>
3: I know I'm an insufferable Boston sports fan, but my rings keep me warm at night, even when my friends abandon
2: me. <laughs> it's the pricey you pay for greatness. I know. But, okay, if we're talking NHL, then really, you're talking to a Canadian. Really, <laughs> okay. Boston doesn't have more cups than we do. Okay. And when I say we, but I mean like any bloody team that's in That's wonderful. I'm talking collectively. Oh, ouch. Okay. I don't know I'm from Tuesday. New York,
4: but the Knicks blow.
3: Exactly. <laughs> and that's the thing about it is that I really grew up in the heyday of Boston sports. We had a, a period there where every year, it almost we were we were winning a championship and it has spoiled me and some, you know, I think Boston fans are just as insufferable (laughs) as most people but I also know a really uh, good amount of people who are just happen to be from New England and like their sports team like everybody else and aren't obnoxious or kind of stereotypical sports fans and I think I fall into that category
4: I think you're the only one in that category, I don't (laughs) care what you say (laughs) (laughs)
3: But yeah, so besides from the Bruins, you know, the Predators, like I said, were looking really good. And I do have to say, I don't care how long they've had teams, which is for some, you know, decades, but the warm weather cities who excel at hockey, like the Predators are great series, the Lightning,
2: it always, I don't know why, it just makes me laugh. You know, what's funny is Las Vegas. Yes. Like they have a hockey team and like, apparently they're doing okay. And I just find that really interesting. Yeah, no. Because exactly I like I don't think hockey when I think Las Vegas. That's that's exactly
3: it. Is it's it's really it's really funny, but you know, the the Nashville, Tampa Bay, Las Vegas, you know, in and the Kings have been good for, you know, for many years now. And it just pushes back on this kind of idea that we have about, you know, Midwest, um, I mean, obviously the players tend to be from cold area places, but there's a real... Mm. Ho- Canada, <laughs> Yes.
2: <laughs> okay, yes. But- Rasha, Rasha,
4: Shereen. <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: But, you know- sorry, yes, in the Finnish, did, the Swedish, right, yes. right.
3: But the other thing that's really really cool about it is to see these hockey cultures popping up. I was in Nashville doing research, and there was a huge kind of swell around the Preds and around you know hockey, and that's that's super dope to see, in my opinion. Yeah, for sure. And um, the other funny thing about. NHL playoffs is it always brings out people who have never watched hockey before and my favorite genre of that are like black people who discover hockey I don't know if you guys remember (laughs) a few years ago a fan of the St. Louis Blues or he well he lives in St. Louis and he happened upon a blues game and literally tweeted out you know hockey is lit white people have been hiding it from us (laughs) and (laughs) And it got so much traction as he live-tweeted these games that the Blues actually brought him to a game, put him on the jumbotron, gave him a jersey, all of this stuff. <laughs> so in this latest episode of Black People Discover Hockey, the <laughs> NHL officially <laughs> tapped Snoop Dogg, <laughs> I can't even say this without laughing, to explain the slaying of the sport to people who are just turning in.
4: Really? How did I miss I it? Will That's send amazing. You the video, just a few highlights. Can he I add says, one quick... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yes, go ahead. Can I add one quick thing about diversity in hockey that is my yes. only trivia about hockey, which maybe everyone knows, but Maple Leaf, Leaf um, Austin Matthews mm-hmm. is yep. Mexican-American. Yep. Yeah, his mom's from Hermosilla in Mexico. Mm. Does everyone know that, or is that just my... Latin American radar. No, I...
2: I think because he's in Toronto, like, Nazem Kadri is also not white. Like, he's of Lebanese descent and he's Muslim. So, like, in Toronto, everyone's like, oh, look, look how diverse we are. We have two non-white players on our squad, like, on the <laughs> roster. So, like, wow. Like, Toronto actually boasts, like, a huge percentage of the non-white players. <laughs> There's two of them. <laughs> yeah, this is the Winter Olympics all over again. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's, it's like the like NHL is constantly like that. Yeah, no, but
3: that's, that's – yeah. That, I mean, I think that's a really good fact because I think visibility really matters. So I mean, uh, Brenda's. So, so I think it's really good to amplify that.
4: So I don't know. Maybe Snoop Dogg can do something with JLo or something. I'm not sure. That <laughs> would well, be amazing. Right
3: now, mostly he's explaining slang. So, for example, he says uh, "a" is for apples and assists. Biscuit simply means the puck, and flow is about wild hair. Pipes are the goalposts. So I'll use that in a sentence. Quote: That guy hit the pipe. <laughs>
2: You know what? I'm here for Snoop, like doing animal and nature videos. So I'm here for him cooking shows with Martha Stewart. I'm so here for him doing NHL. Like, this is brilliant. You've made my day. This is the second.
3: I'll leave you with this other one. He says, The five hole is the space between the Goldie's legs. Going five hole sounds dirty, but it just means scoring in the most humiliating way possible. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's
2: amazing. That's amazing. You know,
3: I'm, anyways. If if I can't get you to watch NHL playoffs, maybe Snoop Dogg can. But they're not the only playoffs on TV right now. We're in the kind of one of the best sporting times of the year. We also have the NBA playoffs that are happening. Uh, the NBA playoffs are, you know, in full swing. We've had some really great games. The Celtics are randomly winning games, even though their squad is – Like, who is even playing at this point for them? The Cavs are in a hole. They're not looking super great right now. It's also kind of weird playoffs over there on the NBA side. Have you guys been catching any games or mostly living in your soccer world?
2: No. Again, Toronto. Like I said, I'm, like, not a huge – like, I love the Blue Jays. I mean, I love Toronto FC. I do love the Raptors. Like, they're not my team. My Mm -hmm. team is San Antonio, who did not make the playoffs, and just also wanted to recognize really quickly the passing of Aaron Popovich, yes. the president's wife. So I just wanted wanted to do that. But the Raptors are in the playoffs, and this They're city's number lit. one seed. They're number one seed in the East, Eastern Conference, and th- th- their record is amazing. It's like forty eight or something like that, and you know, like, we're all about. And I'm also obsessed with Serge Ibaka as of late in his videos. Like, there's one video that I want to link to the show notes of him answering. Languages. Yeah, he's speaking three fluently without – and he didn't even, like, include his own he his own native tongue, which he alluded to in a tweet. He actually did uh, English seamlessly, French seamlessly, and then Spanish seamlessly. I didn't know Serge Ibaka spoke Spanish, but I'm all here for him. Yeah, like, it's speaking amazing anything.
3: when – you know, countries emphasize learning different languages.
2: <laughs> yeah, but I mean I'm excited about everything. And like my heart is with the Spurs. Like, you know, mm-hmm. the Golden States had three nothing and it's been a it's been a tough time for the Spurs. I love them. And, you know, Pop didn't coach Thursday night game and but I mean I'm I'm watching like and and, and the the Raptors really beating out Washington was a really big thing. I mean, right. Washington just won the other day, but it, there's a lot of hype here. So I live in a well, sports the, city, the, and it's fun. You should, you know, Toronto
3: is playing really great. And like you mentioned, they set a franchi- franchise record for se- single season victories. They won fifty nine games and in, in going to the number one seed. So they are looking really, really great. We also have a few new. Or returners. So the the Seventy Sixers, which have been kind of doing nothing for the past few years, made the playoffs for the first time since two thousand twelve. So Philly, fresh off their Eagles' victory, are also dancing right now and, and feeling, you know, quite good about that. And the Timberwolves from Minnesota, for the first time since two thousand and four, are back in the postseason. So. Without Garnett, too. (laughs) She hasn't been there for a very long time. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So, you know, it's definitely cool to see. You know, I think the East is generally a weaker conference, but it's wide open, too. So you have the Raptors, the Celtics, who are obviously without Kyrie for the playoffs. So a lot of random people have been stepping up. I mean, I shouldn't say random. They're clearly on the team, but it's definitely required them to go to their bench and have people step up and people didn't think they would win a single game in the series after Kyrie, you know, was out for the postseason and they took the first two games. And they lost the third game, but they're playing tonight. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, they play today. Yeah. yeah. And then and the Cavs, again, aren't looking great and are in
4: a two Oh, but they are looking great. Amira, did you see them in those gray, gray suits? <laughs> 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 they're, they're looking are, great. They're looking great. <laughs> <laughs> they have a chelsea boot amira it is like it's putting mellow to shame i mean i don't know their fashion lebron's whole kind of new delving into fashion i think is it's taken him a while well nba but fashion I, is
2: you know i'm just here to be like all here for Dwayne wade like um, that man is, exudes so much class well, did you see all him? the time completely put his
3: team on the back, his back, and yeah. uh, have yep. an insane... What was his stats for that game? I have to pull them up. It was like, it was ridiculous. I remember just the tweets were like... Yeah, no, he had a game that was like turning back the time. And it was it was w- fun to watch all of Twitter kind of explode and remember, hey, Dwayne is really good at basketball. <laughs> and that was wonderful. And then GC Graphic Gabrielle Union tweeted, Great job, baby. Now come home. I have something for you. And I was just like, hashtag grown as fuck. And I was like, I'm here for everything about them right now. Oh, yeah.
4: I mean, there's, there's some, been rumors. some amazing there's been uh, some, individual performances like Anthony Davis. Yeah,
2: means. there's been some conversation on whether it would be Dwyane Wade's last game, too. So that I, I think there's been some murmuring. Yeah, because he said so. he's going to take the time after the season to decide whether to retire or
3: to come back to the heat. He said, quote, just taking time to think that's all I'm doing. Taking time to think and look at every angle What's the best situation for me to be in. That's all. So definitely sounds like he's weighing stuff on his head. Anyways, yeah, so we also have New Orleans as has swept uh, the Trailblazers. They're advancing
4: right now. At- that was amazing. That was amazing. I don't get much here, but I did see that last
3: game. Yeah, and then as Shereen, as you mentioned, Golden State is up 3-0 on San Antonio. It's looking like they're going to advance as well. Almost all the other series are knotted up two one in some fashion. Although Philadelphia is up three games to one on the Heat, but the rest of the the rest of the field is you know in a two one situation right now. So you're definitely seeing more parity, and this is what I mean by you know out of the West, you have New Orleans and soon to be Golden State advancing quite easily, but in the East it's it's a fight it's a fight and even though i don't think you know there's anybody really dominant in the east i do think it's wide open so it'll be interesting to see who gets hot here and who makes a run
2: This week, our Lindsay interviewed Lindsay Lemke, a survivor of Nasser's abuse and current Michigan State student, for an art- article on Think Progress. We're going to play you all an edited excerpt from that interview here. And if you haven't listened to last week's episode, where the Burdened All Down panel discusses the latest news developments at Michigan State, you can also read Lindsay's piece on Think Progress, which is linked in the show notes. Lindsay Limke spent two seasons as a member of Michigan State's gymnastics team, and this past season served as a student coach for the team. She grew up practicing gymnastics at Twisters, where she was subjected to physical and emotional abuse by John Gedert, one of Nasser's many enablers. From the ages of 12 to 17, she was sexually abused by Nasser under the guise of medical treatments. This past year, She has been one of the leading voices fighting for change and accountability at Michigan State. This interview is not explicit and does not go into detail about the abuse she experienced. Rather, it focuses on Lemke's advocacy work with her fellow sister survivors and how poorly Michigan State University has handled this crisis every step of the way. We're going to drop you right into the middle of the conversation between the two Lindsays as they discuss how much the national spotlight on the case has diminished since early February when more than 200 survivors read victim impact statements at Nasser's sentencing hearings
0: the local reporting on this case has just been really phenomenal but n- from the national spotlight since the uh, sentencing hearing and since the impact statement, it seems like that spotlight died down fairly quickly would you agree with that su- that assessment
1: i would definitely agree i think that our local news stations have been doing a really good job but definitely when it comes to CNN and CBS and ABC and the the big media outlets that we need to keep reporting this to make it so everybody around the world can continue to, to try to hear what we're trying to change. I just think that there's been things that have happened that obviously they move on to. That's their job. But at the same time, you know, we, we need, we need these media outlets to keep helping us because we're trying to make our voices reach across the world to try to change a culture. Yeah. I saw on Twitter, you had said
0: something that I saw that was really powerful on the lines of do we need to have a completely other, do we need to do all the victim impact statements again? Like, is that what it's yeah. going to take? How frustrating is it to feel like it's, it might take something that extreme to get people to even
1: look your way? It's, it is frustrating, and just because, I mean, I think you can ask any survivor at this point that we are just exhausted of fighting. Right. That doesn't mean we're going to give up, but we're exhausted of trying to fight against an issue where there is no opposing side. There's no opposing side to sexual abuse and trying to hide it and trying to sweep it under the rug. That's wrong. Like, you, there's no way to justify trying to hide sexual abuse, so when I wake up every day... And, you know, I'm posting these things on social media because I'm trying to keep our voices heard and I'm, I'm doing interviews still because I don't think that there's been any change made. And so waking up every single day just in complete exhaustion, knowing that, you know, what we've done so far still has not made an impact is insane because we have gone through so much. And so I made that statement because clearly that's what caught people's attention. And if we had to do victim impact statements again to keep, to keep the ball rolling of trying to change the culture, I am sure that 90% of the people who are trying to make change would want to do it because that's how dedicated we are and devoted we are to trying to change this culture. Wow. That's, that's incredible.
0: You also, I mean, I, I feel like a little bit like a stalker here. <laughs> I keep no, referring to your social media accounts. For public <laughs> reason. Yeah. You know, you were talked a little bit about the Michigan State Athletic Gala and expressed some disappointment about what happened there. What what were you what were your frustrations and and do you mind telling us a little bit about what happened that evening?
1: Yeah. So basically the Michigan State Student Athlete Academic Gala is a dinner that they host for student athletes that have a GPA above a 3.0. And so obviously, I'm very thankful and I'm very grateful that I'm able to attend something where my academic achievements are honored on top of being a student athlete. That's very, very cool. And I'm very grateful. However, I was just very, very frustrated and irritated the entire night because obviously, like every other awards night, there is a host that does all the introductions and such. And he started out the night just by saying how hard of a year it's been for Michigan State and, you know, we're not going to let one person take us down, referring to Larry Nassar. And then he mentioned something about how, how hard of a year it's been for the survivors. And I'm fuming at this point because, to me, he's comparing how hard of a time it's been for Michigan State for the past 16 months compared to how hard of a time it's been for the survivors for some over 20 years. That just doesn't even compare. And the only reason why it's been hard for Michigan State is because they're taking all the wrong steps and they're trying to cover themselves up. And it got brought up because I just believe that they want sympathy. Oh, yeah, it's been such a hard year for Michigan State. Well, if you think it's been a hard year for you, then clearly you do not understand what the survivors have had to go through.
0: If you don't mind me asking just straight up, if you, you thought about, about leaving school, it must be, I imagine, incredibly difficult to be on campus day to day while all this is, is happening.
1: Actually, yeah, it's definitely, it's very tough because in the beginning it was, I was standing my, on my high horse and I was saying, no, I'm not going to let Michigan State ruin this for me because I already, I've already transferred once. I transferred from University of North Carolina after my freshman year and I just kept telling myself I didn't go through all of the transferring process and getting scholarships and moving back home and all of this to have it be the exact same outcome that I don't like where I'm at. Right. But now as time goes on, I, I have had that thought of transferring because it's so hard for me to want to represent a school. Like I don't want to be a Spartan anymore because I don't like what they stand for. When they talk about Michigan State, they talk about leadership and integrity and character and all of these great characteristics that a Spartan would have in being a warrior. But that's how I, that's, that's what I think I am as a Spartan. But the actions that John Ingler and the rest of the Board of Trustees have do not display what being a Spartan is. So, why would I want to be a part of that university? You don't. And there are days where I don't even want to go to class. I don't even want to be on campus because I feel like I'm obviously, I know I'm getting a degree for myself. But at the same time, you know, I'm in debt to Michigan State and I owe them money back. I don't want to pay them money. I don't think they deserve money (laughs) because they're offering the money to another survivor to basically get her to shut up about advocating for change. So it's just, it's very, it's very hard. And I only have 15 credits left. So that is the reason why I, I won't transfer. But it's just, it's very, very hard because I've supported Michigan State my entire life. And at a time where you feel like they should be supporting you the most, they don't and they fight and they fight against you.
0: What does accountability look like at this point?
1: Is there a way for accountability to take place still? Yeah, I definitely would think that. John Engler and the whole board of trustees needs to go because the board of trustees, they had Luana Simon and they got rid of her. But at first they were supporting her. That's that's one thing. That's a red flag. No, obviously, you don't care about making change. She goes and they bring in John Engler, who is another insider of Michigan State. It's not somebody from the outside. And to me, he's worse than what Luana Simon was doing because he's trying to offer money to survivors to make them stop advocating for change. because. Clearly, he shows weakness in the fact that he can't stand that we don't give up. What would you want to see
0: from that new board and that new president?
1: I think first, just settlement. Yeah. Because we've been in mediation. We haven't been in mediation. We've been in mediation. We haven't been in mediation. And we're just trying to settle this because we want to heal. We want to move on from this. And I mean, like I said, there have been girls who have been dealing with this for 20 years. And I think the main thing that we all want to see is just protocols put in place where people feel safe about speaking up about sexual abuse on Michigan State's campus. We just saw an article come out about Jane Doe, who was allegedly raped by three basketball players, and she didn't even feel safe talking to the police about it because she was scared of retaliation because it was basketball players. We're willing to go to the ends of the earth to try to make the change. Because I believe any person, little boy, little girl, Adults, male, female, deserve to have a voice about their sexual abuse. And I want Michigan State to be a campus where that is supported.
0: Where does this strength to speak out come from? Have you always been outspoken about social justice? Have you always seen yourself as an advocate? Or is this a voice that you found throughout this process?
1: I was always a leader. I always, you know, I tried to do what was right all the time growing up. And I, I was voted team captain my senior year for gymnastics and I was always a very vocal person to make things better and to to have people reach their potentials. And so I think with that just being inside of me, that's why I've been able to be so vocal about this situation. And I have strength because I remember being that little girl who was afraid to speak up even in gymnastics as a young gymnast when coaches would yell at me in unfair situations and I remember being that little girl shaking and being so terrified because I felt like no matter what I did it wasn't good enough and I wasn't right. And so my whole life growing up I've always been that person that's tried to strive for perfection and knowing what I know now I wish that I could be that voice for little 7-year-old me and say it's going to be okay and if something isn't fair you can speak up. It's not disrespectful to speak up when you think something is wrong. And I just think that for all those little kids who are going through what we've been through and even adults, you know, I want to be the the voice for them. I want them to know that they have somebody to come to because it's tough. It's really, really hard feeling like you have no you have no say in your situation because it's not going to matter. And that's what Michigan State is causing this Jane Doe feels like she cannot speak up about her sexual abuse because it's not going to matter because Michigan State isn't going to do anything about it anyway. And that's what needs to change. And that's why I have the strength because I just I see all these messages every single day of people saying to me, thank you so much for being a voice. I haven't been able to speak up on my abuse until now, until hearing all the impact statements. And that's what keeps you going because you know that in little increments, you're making the change. It's just these big institutions that you have to get on board with too. So until that day comes you just you just keep going it's just you you don't run out of strength because you know that those those people need you that little 7 year old me needed me at this at that age and you know that there's other there's other people in that same situation too
0: what advice would you give to other i, I would say maybe the the parents and the other coaches and people who are on the lookout and wanting to create a safe environment what should they be On the lookout for?
1: I would say just always making sure that whenever a child comes to you with a concern or they're scared, that you don't second guess them and that you listen to them and you believe them. And even if a child does come up to you and thinks that something was wrong and for some reason it turns out being right, you at least take the correct steps to make sure that they're okay. So that way, that child knows that they're believed and they're trusted. Because as a little girl, when I would speak up about that stuff, I was always second guessed. So obviously as an eight-year-old or a nine-year-old, when someone says, Are you sure that's what happened? You're gonna second guess yourself because you're you're young. You know, you you don't know that you you can have that voice to say, Yes, I'm sure that's what happened. And so for these people who want to make the change, just believe and trust. Make that your first instinct. Just because they're a child doesn't mean that they don't know what's happening. And I would say for people who are currently in the fight, don't give up because there are so many people that we have reached around the world. And even if these the, the major media outlets have stopped showing what we're doing, that doesn't mean that people don't still need us because we are helping people every single day. And eventually our hard work is going to pay off for these institutions. And I think that karma is 100% real. And for the way that we were treated growing up, us survivors, I think that we... And the hard work that we are putting in now to try to make change, it's going to end up in our favor. And even though it's exhausting and it's tiring and we feel like we're talking to brick walls, we are and we are making change. So just believing and trusting and continuing to persevere through tough times because it's going to pay off.
4: Next, Brenda, you want to get us going? Sure. This week, England women's football stars, including Arsenal's Jordan Knobs called for more girls to play the game alongside boys to help develop the top few players of the future. And this got a bit of of press and it got us thinking here that it's worth a discussion in terms of the issue of integrated versus segregated sports, especially youth sports. And I've been thinking a lot about this over the years, both as a mother and a scholar. On the one hand, I think we can all say it's a wonderful experience for girls to play with all girls sometimes, to have an experience in sports where boys are not at the center of everything, and to see how a game among girls develops. On the other hand, it's great to see girls and boys and men and women in solidarity with one another rooting for one another. And when I interview top female talent all over Latin America anyway just as in the England article they frequently talk about how ex- important it was that they played with boys teams in fact i'm in Argentina right now and before the age of 13 there's only boys teams and so so it's interesting you know my daughter plays on a on a mixed team and so i think though the point is that it has to be done with some consciousness or reflection about it I'm just going to give a quick example and then I'll throw it to you guys and see what you think but in Colombia for for example they have this new iteration of football it's about fifteen years old called golombao and golombao is supposed to encourage gender equity among players it's not the only thing it's about you know pe- building peace and trust in Colombian civil society after the Civil War, but listen to what they do. Like for example, the f- the first goal has to be scored by a girl, and then every other goal after that. So there's there's a way in which to do it, and 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 when you and the interviews with people. And their experience with Golomba, the fascinating thing is that the boys and girls absolutely love it because it, it teaches also, you know, great passing and, and things and a, and a lot of consciousness among the boys who are playing because cause usually if they're like strikers, they have to think like, wait, is it my turn? Is it not my turn? <laughs> and 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 so it's i think that that's like totally fascinating and shows you that there's a way in which to do gender integration too in in different ways that teach different things but it's the parents that complain Mm. that feel like the girls are quote-unquote holding their boys back Mm. it's not the children so anyway i don't know what what do you all think
3: yeah well i two anecdotes came to mind when we said this is what we want to talk about. And I think it's definitely a necessary conversation. Brenda, you pointed exactly to it, that there is a certain value in in girl dominant sporting spaces that I think is invaluable. But I also think that there can be value in 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 mixed sporting settings as well. So the first anecdote I have is that, you know, growing up playing soccer There was two girls who played for the boys team. I kind of played back and forth. Like I played both with the guys and then I played with the girls starting around travel season in maybe middle school, I guess. But I played with both. And when we got to high school, out of all of the kind of girls who were my year, we had all grown up playing together. The two girls who made varsity were the two who played with the boys the entire time. And I made JV and then got moved up to varsity. And that was, and I was the only other person who had played both ways. And so that was this kind of moment where I remember feeling as like a 14 year old, however old you are feeling like, damn, like, are they better? Cause they played with like, it, it, it was like a kind of palpable lesson. Like it was clear to everybody that, It wasn't a coincidence that these two girls who had made varsity a very strong varsity squad were also the only two had been playing on the boys side as we were growing up. And I think that people took that lesson different ways, but that immediately jumped to mind. The other thing was that when Samari, my daughter, was playing soccer when she first started out, when she was around six, and she was pretty good and they moved her up a did like little kid division and whatnot. But the team she got placed into was an all boys team. And they were, you know, seven to eight year old boys. And she was a six year old girl and she could play with them. And that was fine, but they didn't talk to her. And as soon as practice was over, they would goof off or run around or jump in mud and they wouldn't talk to her. And she would look across the sidelines and see a team that might be mixed to have a few girls on it. But everybody was hanging out or, you know, when she started seeing girls only leagues and they'd all be hanging out and chanting and kind of just having a good time. I think she she really felt isolated on that squad. And it could have just been that squad, but I know the effects and it, it caused her to leave the game and she, she hasn't gone back yet.
2: I mean, that is so powerful because like soccer for me particularly and I mean, I can't obviously speak for Samari, but I know that as a young girl, soccer fulfilled a lot of my social needs. Like, I mean, I was always the only non-white person in my school and or in my class for sure. And then so soccer sort of afforded me that comfort, like on your, on the pitch. And I talk about this a lot. And when I talk about identity and football, but. The idea that you know young girls need that socialization as well, and they need that that team support and that building and those development of people skills. I mean, there's there's a couple of things. Like I played with boys until I think I was eight, but I mean, and I still do sometimes some co-ed pickup soccer. But I absolutely perform prefer my, prefer my women's league, 100 percent, my team. I absolutely prefer it. And my answer to this whole idea of like should girls play with boys to get them better? I mean, of course, my my thoughts go to what we need to do. I think it's the wrong question. What we should really be doing is trying to improve and develop young girls' leagues and women's leagues. So the the standard changes. So, you know, we're looking at, you know, the Silly Sausages and the Needing Angerers and the Christine Sinclair's, Crystal Dunn's, Carly Lloyd's. We're looking at we're looking at them and we're looking at, you know, just the other day The Japanese uh, Nadeshiko won the African – sorry, the uh, Asian Football Confederation Tournament. Like, we're looking at those. Like, Hamaru Sawa has inspired so many. And, like, we're looking at them for those – for that standard and what that looks like. Because, you know, I'm a person that, you know, believes in equity and equality, but I also understand that the women's game is different. And I can't speak to the science about it. Oh, the boys are more physical. Like, I've been some pretty physical games – with women, <laughs> so I don't even know what that means, but my hope is always that girls get choice, like I will always be a proponent of choice. If girls want to play coed they should be able to like I had to play hockey coed because there was no option for a girls' team like i there was no choice, so at the risk of having girls excluded, yeah, they have to play, and that should happen in any capacity. But I'm also keenly aware that sometimes girls sports. We'll give them what they need.
3: Yeah. No, I think those are great points. And I want to say that this is not only a conversation that's happening now or happening around the game of soccer. A few years ago, we had this conversation around the game of basketball when there was um, a young basketball, travel basketball team disqualified because they played a girl on the team. And it drew the ear of many WNBA players and coaches. But Out of that, for instance, Swin Cash and New York Liberty Guard Candace Wiggins weighed in and said, listen you're just denying the girl that experience, you're you're denying young boys that experience of respect. You can't underestimate girls. You can't underestimate what they can do. Take me as an example. The person I am is because I played on the boys team. So you still, you have very similar conversations happening in basketball spaces, in, in baseball. Jess has you know profiled the wonderful girls baseball team uh, last summer. And I'll, we'll link that in, but I, I always teach about, about girls in baseball, for instance. And that's a sport because girls have been kind of systematically pushed into softball that a lot of times if you want to play baseball, you're playing on a co-ed team. And unless you're playing with these kind of girls travel teams that are popping up that are all girls squads, but play in competitions against, against co-ed teams. And I think that, Shireen, you're making great points where one, choice is definitely a thing. Two we need to open up all these avenues for participation. And if you're in a place where there's not a team, then obviously you want to play with a co-ed team. But I think choice is, is, is the right word for it. And I think the more we open up avenues for youth sports across the board, generally speaking, the better it will be. And then, of course, the question becomes what happens when you then get out of youth sports, you get into high school, you get into college where they become immensely gender segregated again. Um, And so there's this really interesting transition between youth sports, especially a lot of people playing youth sports at the co-ed level, and then moving into sex-segregated sports when they hit high school and varsity sports and on to college, and how abrupt that can be. There's girls who've never been on a team with all girls, right, that have this kind of new learning experience that happens once they, you know, get into high school. Um, And it could, you know... For, for many people, that could be a powerful moment. I know, I can tell you, I didn't like softball, but I played softball because I love chanting with my team. I was very good at track, but I hated track because literally, I don't know if you've noticed, but track is literally just running. And the only way you can practice <laughs> is to keep running and lifting. And personally, I like sports that have contact in them. So track was not yeah. my favorite thing, but A, we won and I like that. And B, I loved the girls on my track team. I played soccer with a lot of them, and but it was just like a really good crew. And so I kept playing track. I kept running track, even though I hated it, just because that, that tie with those
2: girls on that team kept me in the game. Amazing. Bren, do you want to wrap us up? Sure.
4: I mean, I would just like to make a call for mixed gendered events. In later later I know no one's like heating my call or asking me to make said call. <laughs> but like mixed we'll burn it all down th- is heeding you. your call. Okay? But like mixed doubles is awesome. And I don't know why because soccer's played exactly the same. We don't have any leagues like that. I think it's just, I think it's just cool to have to have both things. Like you said, choices, Amira. And I like choices as a fan. I dig those kinds of events that are mixed. The mixed curling now. There's mixed curling. That was- And Slash. Yes, mm-hmm. And that was amazing. And so, you know, to a, to a large extent, I also think there gets to be a, a certain kind of I, I don't know a certain kind of solidarity forged in, in rooting for, for the people on your team. So I, I I would like to just sort of wrap it up by saying, come on, soccer, get on board with tennis and bobsled and curling. Get yourself some mixed events. On
2: to our favorite segment, the burn pile. Amira, what do you want to burn? Ugh, y'all. Yeah. I don't know what I'm burning. I know the
3: situation I'm going to talk about. I don't know what aspect of it I'm burning, if that makes sense. Two nights ago, so later this this past week, 45, the president of this country now, tweeted out, Sylvester Stallone called me with the story of heavyweight boxing champion Jack Johnson. His trials and tribulations were great. His life complex and controversial. Others have looked at this over the years. Most thought it would be done. But yes, I'm considering a full pardon. Now, what he is talking about is pardoning Jack Johnson, the heavyweight boxer from early in the 20th century, who was, convicted in 1913 under the Mann Act, which was basically a trumped-up charge that was in retaliation for the fact that he defeated the Great White Hope and every other boxer that stepped in a ring with him. If you think back to the Jeffries fight with Johnson in 1908, this was a huge, 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 important fight. If you read newspapers at the time, you would see that everybody was staking the kind of future of race relations on this fight if the black man won you know it would inspire and invigorate black people across the nation that they you know could rise up and that scared white people and they were looking for the great way to help to defeat him and nobody could defeat him and he was also cocky he wore furs he drove cars and most infuriating of all to to most folks he dated a lot of white women and so after not being able to beat him in the ring they they beat him by using wielding the law in, a, in an unjust way. They convicted him under the Mann Act, which made it illegal to cross state lines with a woman, quote, for the po- purpose of prostitution or debauchery or other immoral purposes. It was often understood as an anti-miscegenation law, and so this is ultimately what he, <laughs> what what they what they stuck on him. Interesting note. The judge who handled down this ruling was Judge Landis, who then became commissioner of Major League Baseball and was instrumental in maintaining the color line in baseball until Jackie broke it in 47. But anyways, this idea, A, one, that he hasn't been pardoned yet, many people thought Obama might do it right before he left office, is kind of ridiculous because we know that it was a chumped up charge and that it was, you know, a way to... Push back on his unapologetic blackness, but at the same time, I I don't feel like this tweet from forty five is sincere. I think it's like a just because Sly Stallone tells you to pardon somebody, like that's what you're doing now. A B like I feel like it's a really easy way to be like, hey, look, black people, I do things for you. Pardoning dead black people is is not actually all that helpful to these large systemic issues that you yourself are creating so or maintaining so anyways I'm burning the whole thing because it just makes my head hurt quite frankly and and I wish Johnson was already pardoned I wish I felt like it was sincere pardon maybe it's good for him I I don't know the whole thing makes my head hurt and for the migraine that this clusterfuck is giving me I'm burning it down
2: Burn. Burn. So, what I'm burning this week, and I want to thank a uh, flamethrower, Tammy Gough for sort of bringing our attention to this, or my attention to this. There is a senior at University of Portland in Oregon, Oregon, and her name is Olivia Sanchez, and she actually wrote this op-ed for the Beacon. And what ended up happening was this is this is really quite awful. There was an awards night that are called the Wally Awards. And what ended happening was it's the athletic department's, you know, sort of awards for seniors or for students to recognize their accomplishments in the year. So, basically, what ended up happening was this this incredibly, and as she put it, violent misogynist speech, quote unquote, of a senior men's tennis player whose name is Gautam Sundaram. And he was the MC. And he basically ended up saying things like he's gonna get up, uh get really real and make the stage his locker room. And okay, first of all, that idea of locker room talk, which you know, we've discussed, which came out when 45 came up, and how it's really, really, really toxic and terrible and the level of machismo and the patriarchy and, and is just unacceptable. So he ended up like it got so bad that people ended up leaving like coaches ended up walking out and his references and the other thing that was really problematic in addition to like not just the violent misogyny was that he ended up glorifying dating white women and using his parents immigrant experience to justify that and sort of saying that you know his parents immigration to US was successful so he could like date a white woman and like I have so many feelings about this because I'm of south asian descent and I understand like the colonized mind and I understand like how that's so so violent and so terrible and this guy doing this again publicly is just it's even more horrific for me right because this is what's happening so she was really really upset and she ended up you know talking about it because it, as a senior it was her final night And she says, "I felt trapped." So, just sort of listening to Olivia Sanchez and reading this, and you know, like just how Sundaram Sundaram didn't care and just went back to his scripted words and just ignored it, and everyone was moving on. It just really goes to 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 show you how little regard there is in these spaces for women and whatnot, and. In her piece, because I'm also very, very aware of the racial dynamic, Olivia Sanchez, like it doesn't say that she identifies as anything. Like I, you know, her name's Sanchez, like, but we don't want to assume. But she talked about, you know, him just in, inferring and talking about and putting white women on a pedestal, quote unquote. That is unfair because it's 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 not reality, and it actually ends up like being reductive in the way that women of color were spoken of. And the other thing is, is that it ends up completely missing the point of consent. Like when you talk about sex in such a disrespectful manner, it's like not okay at all. Anyways, I wanted, we're going to add that op-ed in the show notes because I think it's really important for everybody to read. And I wanted to offer solidarity to Olivia Sanchez and any other athletes who identify as women or non-binary who were in that space that felt unsafe. And to anyone who was in that room that was like horrified and upset by this Man, completely blowing over the Wally Awards. So I want to burn it.
4: Yeah, burn that. Burn. Brenda? I would like to burn the recent actions of the Chilean Professional Football Federation, that ANFP, that decided this week to assign a big fine to the team Universidad Católica because of a banner that fr- that friends that fans brought to the game. The banner reads football against bullets, football contra ballas, Palestina Libre, Free Palestine. It has a, a Palestine flag next to the team flag. It's a very it's small relative to others. And of course it's in response to the recent recent repression. Of protesters in Palestine by Israeli forces. And first of all, the, the worst thing, for, from my view, is that the professional league calls this political, and this is what they say uh, whenever it's a human rights issue that's not conservative. That is political. But one could say it's a human rights issue and that that really is far beyond politics. So they find them in the exact same way and under the exact same regulation that they would if they came with like a particular political party's banner. So I would like to burn this. I mean, the whole idea that sports aren't political in itself is awful. And then the the random, it's not random, but, but, the, but the uneven way in which, and this comes right down from FIFA, the uneven way in which they're going to defend people's right to speech in football stadiums is political in itself. It's frustrating in itself. And to look at what's been happening there and to say, you know, oh, football against bullets, that's that's political for you? That rocks your world? Wow. that's a, If that's controversial, wow, that's a really big deal. So I want to burn the fact that football against bullets is controversial, <laughs> that the Chilean Federation wants to use FIFA's stupid ordinances to enforce against a team in Chile. And it, in general, just this ongoing persistent denial of the fact that human rights are beyond politics. Yeah, I'd like to burn that.
2: Burn. Moving on to our badass women of the week, where we like to celebrate these incredible, incredible women. Honorable mentions actually go to Son Amir, the veteran Pakistan cricketer, Mir broke into the top five in International Cricket Council, ICC, ODI bowlers ranking. So this is pretty incredible. And she's a spin all-rounder and she's sitting at fifth. And this is really, really important because, like, she'd been with the team since 2005 and became the first female cricketer to play. From the country to play 100 ODIs during the Women's World Cup in June, July 2017, that we had talked about on the show. Um, next is Lakpa Sherpa, a 44 year old native of Nepal, actually holds the world's record for summits of Everest by a woman and plans to return later this month for what has become an annual expedition to the top of the world. Like, that's pretty incredible. Desiree Linden, who became the first American woman to win the Boston Marathon since 85, Linden lost the marathon back in 2011 by two seconds, so a seven-year comeback in the making, and also ran in some of the worst weather conditions in race history. Christine Pengpeng Lee is the gymnast who scored a perfect 10 on the balance beam to give UCLA the NCAA title. Also to Maggie Nichols, who, a former world champion, won the NCAA all around this weekend with a perfect score on her floor routine, was athlete A who came forward about Nasser. And can I get a drum roll, please? So, badass women of the week, because they're plural, are the Swedish women's hockey players who have now been unionized. And according to fellow flamethrower Hannah. Bivis, and I quote, woho fam, woho meaning women's hockey, I can't understate how important this is, a formal union for the Swedish Women's Hockey League and their national team. And this is actually really important because what happens is the women never previously ever had an opportunity to sort of bargain for themselves and negotiate, but now they are literally going to have help being formally unionized with SICO, which reps other Uh, hockey organizations in that country. So we like seeing women get remunerated properly. We like them having negotiating power. And we're really happy for Swedish women's hockey. Yay.
4: So what's good, Brenda? What's good? What's good is I turned in my manuscript with Mm -hmm. Josh Nadal, a football leader, women, gender and sexuality in Latin American sport. And we're really excited. It's at University of Texas He's been in Greece. I've been in Argentina. It's amazing that we got it done at all. And so I'm just sort of basking in that for right now. Congratulations. Thank you. I am happy
3: because the end of the semester is here. I have a a lot of grading too, but only three more classes. This week will be the last week. And I am so excited for May and no classes and writing time and all of that. And finally some sunshine. I'm also excited for Infinity War. I feel like we've been waiting a decade to get to (laughs) this point. You know, I'm a Marvel junkie and I cannot wait to go back to Wakanda on Thursday
2: night for the premiere. <laughs> Amazing. I actually had an emotional day yesterday. It was the last match of the Don, Andres Iniesta, who is my all-time favorite player at, well, I always say all-time favorite player, but he's my favorite player at Barcelona, um, for sure. Him and Javi, Javi retired. So what happened was they ended up winning one of the many championships that they always win. And he scored and he, there's this magical photo of him jumping because Iniesta is, He's the playmaker. He is the one who serves up passes. And I have this saying that I have always said that – Some girls want happily ever after. I just want to pass like Iniesta. And I do because he just simply, he serves them on a platter and they're beautiful. And um, Brenda, I remember you said you had a quote about this. And I know this isn't what we do and what's good, but I really want you to share that.
4: I do. I have one of my favorite quotes. It's hard to get Lionel Messi to say anything about anybody. But in 2016, he was interviewed about Iniesta, who he's played with since being a teenager. And he said, quote, We're more similar in the fact that we don't talk much. He sits in one corner, I sit in another, but we cross paths, we connect. With just a look, we understand each other. We don't need more than that. On the pitch, I like him to be near me, especially when the game takes a turn for the worse, when things are difficult. That's when I say to him, come closer. I want you by my side. Oh, that's beautiful. It is, because it's more words than you'll ever hear from Messi about anything. Yeah. (laughs) And he said that all in one sitting. All in one sitting <laughs> and then he probably ran okay. after the bomb.
2: <laughs> okay. The other thing I was going to say was, you know, and there was after Iniesta, I ended up actually meeting a comedian last night named Maysoon Zayed. And she's a Palestinian comedian. She's also disabled and she's headlining at a gala event here for a nonprofit in Toronto called Smile. And by the time you all hear this, you know, it would have already happened. But I got to have dinner with her and she was hilarious and funny. And I'm so excited for all her new stuff. She's an upcoming sitcom on NBC Universal. So it was really super cool. She'll be the first. Woman with a disability to ever be like have her own show in the United States. And uh, she, she was just incredible. She's a force of love and energy. And I was so excited to meet her. So that's what's good. Now that's it for this week in Burn It All Down. Burn It All Down lives on SoundCloud, can be found in iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and TuneIn. We appreciate your reviews and feedback. So please subscribe and rate to let us know what we did well, and how we can improve. You can find us on Facebook at Burn It All Down, on Twitter at Burn It All Down Pod, or on Instagram at Burn It All Down Pod. You can email at us, burnitalldownpodgmail.com, or check out our website at www.burnitalldownpod.com. We will find previous episode transcripts and a link to our Patreon. We would really appreciate you subscribing, sharing, and rating our show. What helps us do the work we love to do and keep burning what needs to be burned. On behalf of Brenda and Amira, I'm Shireen, and thank you so much for joining us this week. And I'm sorry.